0: Does God condone, condemn, or command war? Welcome to The Creation Today Show. I'm Eric Hovind. I think of World War I, Vietnam, uh, Persian Gulf War, the Afghan-Iraqi war that we just left. Every generation alive today has had to wrestle with, how do we deal with war? Well, today's world events are leading many to ask questions. Like, hey, if war involves killing, isn't that against the Bible? And, and aren't we supposed to turn the other cheek? And then there's that love your neighbor verse. And, and there's even a verse about loving your enemy. What should a Christian's position be regarding war? Well, you might be surprised to learn what God says about your own role in these conflicts between nations. Today, I truly believe that this conversation will help you experience true meaning and purpose in life, just understanding these truths. If you're new to the creation today show, we're on a mission to disciple the world. We wanna turn stumbling blocks into stepping stones that keep people from, uh, the stumbling blocks that keep people from Christ into stepping stones, helping them to come to know Jesus Christ as their savior on your journey to know the truth. I brought a friend into the studio today to have this discussion with me. He served for 16 years as the US Air Force seer specialist, which I think would be so much fun. I'm gonna have to ask him to go out and teach me some of this stuff. He's serious about his education. He's got a master's in apologetics and he's soon to be a doctorate of apologetics from Liberty University. He's known as the battlefield theologian. I love that. Ethan Jago, Ethan, welcome buddy. Thanks brother, appreciate it, man. Really thankful to have you on here. I love, first of all, you are the man's man. You've been there, done that. And you're thinking biblically through these things of how do we understand these things. So give us a little bit of of your history to help us understand why we can talk to you. I mean, you're one of the first ones I called with everything going on to say, all right, what's your perspective? All right. Give me a little background.
1: Yeah. So I served in the United States Air Force as a SEER specialist, which stands for survival, evasion, resistance, escape. So we teach people how to survive behind enemy lines, uh, how to evade capture, if they get captured how to resist interrogation then escape if they become captured uh, so i did that and then we also do personnel recovery where we help plan uh, and implement training for guys if something happens to be able to get back to friendly control uh, i deployed to iraq uh, afghanistan africa uh, so multiple different locations there working with uh, third country nationals different countries uh, and working with personnel recovery uh, aiding uh, commanders with getting guys back Uh, trying to find civilians and rescue them. Uh, I was a part of an operation where we were able to rescue three American contractors out of Baghdad uh, who got captured. So that's kind of like my, uh, my background with that. Uh, I separated from the military and then I was pursuing uh, academia since then. And the name battlefield theologian isn't like where people's minds might want to go. It has nothing to do with like the physical battlefield, but it's all about the spiritual battlefield and being able to stand for biblical doctrine and theology and be willing to wage war with the culture to stand on the truths that scripture has and not to capitulate to culture and not to muddy things down but to raise the bar on what the bible actually says.
0: That is yeah. beautiful guys. This is something we talk about regularly. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. And and that is the reality <laughs> that I think many people don't see, you know. We want to talk about God and war today. Yeah. So uh, by the way, Marlis, I forgot my Bible. Can you hand me my Bible right there? Uh, I want to talk to you guys about God and war today. If you guys are joining us on uh, Facebook or on YouTube, uh, or thank you very much, or on our podcast or a television show, uh, watching this later, uh, thank you for kind of peeking into this Creation Today community for this conversation. We're a group of people that are that are being discipled. We have these weekly conversations. The goal is to be everything that God has called us to be. Uh, so if you ever want to join our community, come on over to creationtoday.org. Uh, we'd love to have you partner with us and be part of this community. Uh, Ethan, as I think through the um, big concept of war and I think through Scripture, I'm going, there's a lot of war recorded in the Bible. Yeah. Um, I think of the different positions there are, everything from the pacifist, the, the Quaker mentality of... No harm whatsoever, all the way to the activist, the one who's like, "No, let's." You know, we need to be almost aggressor, is what you'd call it.
1: Yeah.
0: How? Where do we start in unpackaging God and war? Uh, and if you have, uh, if you're joining me on, on on social media, feel free to throw your comments in in the chat. Where do we start with this? What's What's your? You've been there. Yeah. You're studying God's word. Mm-hmm. You've been on the battlefield. I, like, I'm sitting here going, I mean, I've, I've studied just war theory and stuff like that. It's very different hearing from an academic theologian and talking to somebody like you who's been there, done that. Yeah. So w- where should we as Christians start off our thinking?
1: Well, what really started for me was what I saw happening in Iraq with ISIS. I was there from 15 to 16. I was outside Mosul. I was outside Baghdad. And I was a part of a joint coalition force there, training up Iraqi and Kurdish forces for personal recovery. Mm. And the atrocities that we witnessed and the atrocities that we saw was just pure evil. I mean, evil in the basic sense of the word. And so, Can, can I ask her, like, yeah. is it too gruesome to even give some details? some overall? Just over, the overarching... innocent slaughter of men, women, and children. Innocence, uh, this is just... One operation we were part of was called Operation Dweller in which the Iraqi and Kurdish people, or the Kurdish people were up on Mount Sinjar and the ISIS individuals had completely surrounded the mountain. And our, our Iraqi counterparts were doing turn and burn missions, rescuing all of these civilians, trying to get them off because they just they were just killing indiscriminately. Uh, and so that's what really started my journey is like, what does the Bible say about this? Because everything for a Christian's worldview, if you have a biblical worldview, it's got to come out of Scripture and point back to Scripture. That's and a, so that's, that's when I just point. I just started to, what does Scripture say? Because apologetically too, you see people bringing up things, well, oh, well, God commanded genocide and all this other stuff with the conquest of Canaan. And yeah. I, it, all these questions come up. So it's like, well, what is it that the Bible truly says about war? Uh, and especially if you're looking at just war theory, uh, that I mean, that is technically, it's a Western thought. It originated, Augustine is kind of the perpetuator of that in his book, The City of God. And then Thomas Aquinas later uh, elaborates on that. So we have church followers and tradition of bringing this in into Western thought of the just war theory. And when you think about that, it's, if can a war be just and if it is just what constitutes justice and what and how should that war be fought so that's kind of two ways to view this is can a war be just and if so what does that look like and if it is just how is it that that war is supposed to be conducted uh Hmm. and so i think the bible provides us very clear uh examples of what this or how we should frame our minds as christians to view this now the thing i love about this eric that i think is really interesting is with Everything, sadly, that's happening in Ukraine right now is what morality and what system is everyone landing on why Russia is in the wrong and why Ukraine is in the right. And so it brings up a phenomenal opportunity for Christians to be able to engage and say, well, you say that Russia is the aggressor and that Russia is wrong. What are you basing that off Mm. of? There has to be a standard to base this off of. If there's no standard outside of our own opinion, it leads to a form of relativism, right? So then you may think it's okay, I may think it's not okay, and we can agree to disagree, but there's no kind of authoritative source saying, no, Eric, you're right, or no, Ethan, you're wrong. And that's the scripture. We have to have a standard outside of ourselves that can dictate what objective morality is. And I think everyone can state objectively that what is happening currently in Ukraine is wrong. The fact that the European nations that have been so secularized over the last several hundred years are now saying, no, this is wrong. Absolutely The fact that Switzerland is now getting involved, the the most neutral place, I mean, just shows you that morality is bringing and is coming back to the top level. And Christians need to be ready to give an answer for those who ask us for the hope that is within us. right? And so I think this conversation, as horrific as it is, I'm not saying this is, wow, guys, this is great. I'm saying this is horrific. But at the same time, there's opportunities for Christians to be able to step up and say, hey, this is bad, but here's why it's bad. And it's yeah. the scriptures that point to why it's bad. Isn't it interesting
0: that they have, all these countries have been creating a sec, what they want is a secular culture, free from religion. And the very thing they do when things really get bad is they turn to a moral authority. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Unbelievable. So, um, do you th- <laughs> Forgive me for being a little bit ignorant here, okay? Sure. I've never been on the battlefield uh, as far as physical battlefield. I, I think sometimes we have this. Can I call it a glorified view of war? Almost, a, we're gonna go over there. You know what we ought to do to Putin? You know, and and I mean, I've, I've got a vested interest in what's going on here because my wife is actually from Ukraine, uh, so she's got family over there. I just saw a video of her her cousin, who's a pastor in Ukraine, and his his little bitty two bedroom house. They got eighteen people staying wow. there every night. They come in, and then they're helping them get out of the country. I'm sitting here going, wow, I've got a vested interest. I can't stand what's going on. The, the, the psychological effect that this has on people here in America uh, that are of a Slavic descent, it's it's terrible. Yeah. So I back up, and I go, okay, uh, yeah, there's there's the flesh in me that wants to just... You know what? Let's, let's raise money and put a bounty on the guy's head, you know? Why, why haven't we yeah. done that? And have his own people turn against him. How do we need... I mean, war is not pretty. Yeah. So talk to us about that first. Like, how, what should our view of war be from a
1: Christian perspective? War, first off, is evil. Um, but not all people in the war are evil. Mm. So we, we need to understand that first is war is evil. Um, actions that occur within war are evil, but not all participants are evil. And so, what we first have to understand is who is the aggressor and who is the defendant, right? So, who has initiated this? Who has started this? Then, who is in the right or who is in the wrong? And, and so, when we think about this, is I, I think it's a very American ideology that is like, I want to go and help. I love that. Like, there, there's uh, Zelensky That's has true. actually enacted a, a foreign legion for. Military and other individuals who wish to come and join, but with that too comes a whole other set of problems So this actually happened in Iraq. The Kurdish forces actually opened up uh, And were, we're bringing people in whoever wanted to go Anybody wanted to go fight with toe-to-toe to toe with Isis and they did that and several foreigners from the EU from America were joining uh, Their kind of foreign legion. It's no different than what happened in Britain in World War two It's no different than what France did with their French foreign legion So this has always been around this has always been a thing, but I understand the eagerness to want to go into the war. I understand, like, you know, I want to go prove myself. It's the crucible of combat to see, do I have what it takes? Do I not have what it takes? And, you know, that was what I wanted when I first joined. But then I realized that the way I can help in war is not through direct combat operations, but through support and assistance through rescue and recovery and training. Mm. So that way I give the actual trigger pullers a better chance of coming home. And our saying in Seer was returning home with honor and like we want them to come home. So I think it's normal for people to feel that way. Um, I think something though is you need to have a staunch reality of what is war yeah. in combat. It's brutal, it's disgusting, it's horrific, and it scars many people. I mean, wow. it's, it's ridiculous what happens in war. And you see these abnormal things in a normal situation and because of media and movies, you, you're so used to seeing something that your mind can't process physically what you are seeing in real life, that that was an actual person at one point in time scattered across on the field, that that was in fact a house that homed several people that is now leveled and destroyed, mm. and so you have this this psychological thing that begins to happen in your own mind where you either accept it and it freaks you out, or you compartmentalize, you push it down, and you continue on with the job. So anyone who's willing or wanting to help out, the best thing to do right now is to get involved in these third-party nonprofit organizations and donate money, donate supplies. Uh, If you think that there's more than that and you actually have something to offer to the table, they don't necessarily need trigger pullers right now. Because the amount of time it's going to get for you to get there and then get in and everything else, warfare, this kind of warfare is much different than what we were fighting in Iraq and Afghanistan. That was more guerrilla warfare. This is more not necessarily, it's more conventional. Right. So if you've got medical skills, uh, if you've got ways to help people in that regard, I mean, think about the amount of refugees we've got coming to all of these different bordering countries. Yeah. They need beds, they need food, they need medical supplies, they need, that is what they need right now. The trigger pullers are on the ground. I mean, unless we just send tons and tons of people within there to, to be able to change the tide of war, I mean, that's, that's something different. So if you feel the need that I'd need to do something. It may not be direct combat operations. It may be in a support-enabling role through medical or through some kind of tertiary means of donating money, donating food, and stuff like that. I've always thought how amazing would it be if the church,
0: the real church, was the hero. Yeah. The, The the people here are giving so much that the churches over there get to be the heroes of the war they're doing the most. It's not we're depending on government to do these things. We've got churches that are doing these things and and making things happen, so I couldn't agree more. I mean, I've, I've got a pastor, you know, I got from being over there and from having family over there, I got pastors that we are going to support and it's very difficult to even get the funds to them. So holding funds right now that we want to support But we want to get the funds straight to them so they can go straight to the people.
1: Nothing else in between is the goal. And we've actually done that in our church. We've been able to donate $30,000 with beds and food. And we actually have people on the ground setting up checkpoints to get people across the borders through our partner churches that we have over there in some of these countries. I don't want to say where, but we've got people that have already been able, we've been able to successfully evacuate Mm -hmm. people out of the country into friendly control and that's something that our church has already that's, been yep. doing and continue to do.
0: Yeah, There's going to be a lot of that. Okay, walk us through. You said it's got to come from the Bible. It's got to point back yeah. to the Bible. Walk us through a biblical view of God
1: and world. Dude, I think it's got to start with, you know, we can do this in three parts. Okay. I think the first one is we got to understand the role of man and what God did when He created us. By the I way, mean,
0: you guys might want to take some notes here because... Uh, you're not
1: going to remember all this, so write some of this down. I don't have a book to give you. (laughs) Write these things down. Okay. So the first thing is understanding how God created mankind and how does God view mankind? How does God view humanity? And the best way, and again, with everything that you do in your ministry, Genesis 1, 26-27, where it says, let us make man in our image and our likeness. When you actually dissect those two words, image and likeness, uh, it's interesting that the Hebrew word Salem is mean in our likeness and after our image. And then when you look at the other word, demuth, which is in our image, it's understood in this prepositional phrase that these two are virtually equivalent in what this is saying. So when he is saying in our image and after our likeness, this doesn't mean a physical sense. What this means is in a spiritual sense. This isn't saying that God has blonde hair, blue eyes, and this and that. That's (laughs) not what he's saying. Based off divine simplicity, we know that that is not the case. God does not have a body. But what this means is in a spiritual sense to a cognitive means, we can come to a knowledge of our creator. We can come to an understanding that we are image bearers of God, that we have that thinking, feeling, understanding that there is a divine, as Aquinas or Augustine said, the sensus divinitatis, the sense of the divine. And you look at Romans one and two, in which God has now written the law on man's heart. Yeah. So this is important for us to understand that we have been made in the image and likeness of God. Therefore, God has a very much vested interest in us, right? So when we look at this, the mental and spiritual abilities that God has given us and the capacities enable us to relate to God and to serve under Him for ruling as His, and I know you've talked about this in creation, as His vice regents. So we've got to start here. So this is our baseline. And what I what I love to do here is as we move from Genesis 1, we can use other scripture to support this, this assertment right? or this statement. Psalms 8, 4 through 6 says, What is man that you remember him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him rule over the works of your hands, and you have put things under his feet. So we see that God views human life as precious, Mm, right? God views human life as precious, and we are to reflect his ruling as his vice regent. So we are supposed to model the way we treat each other off of the way in which God has treated us, right? In the garden and everything else. Now, in Genesis 3, right, after the fall, that image was marred, but it was not cut off. Right, and what's interesting is you have the first enactment of a type of, uh, if you will, defense or a guard, in which when God casts them out, He puts angels to defend, if you will, for lack of better terms, to yeah. to guard or protect the Garden of Eden, and that is when you see the first iterance or utterance of the word sword. So we now see that indirectly, there is a type of defense that needs to happen from people violating the role and the rule of God, in which He enacts angels to defend or to protect the Garden of Eden from people coming in. Never really thought of it like that, but you're, that's, that's interesting. When you start to study, I mean, it, it kind of connects these dots, yeah. right? And so as we move through with this, we see that God teaches us in Matthew 10, 29-31, where He talks about, are not two sparrows sold for one penny? How much more will the Lord take care of you? So if God cares about lesser things in creation, like a bird or a sparrow, how much more does God take care and view and want to protect you? So we understand then now, we've, we've laid the groundwork, we're made in the image and likeness of God. We understand that God views human life as precious. We understand that God has given us a, a venue through to Himself, through His redemptive plan, through His Son, Jesus. But now, what is it that God says about human life. I, I think that's where we've got to go with that because we've got what the understanding of how God views humans or humanity, but now what about life and the interacting within life?
0: That right? is the question, isn't it? Because if we if we adopt a secular worldview, we got nothing. We got no real value no. other than a higher
1: evolved, you're smarter, therefore you have more value. Is that kind of the way we, Well, I mean, it's because we have the mental capacities, the cognitive uh, understanding I mean think about it like i love my dog <laughs> right. but my dog can't ex- commit his life to jesus christ right he d- that that fails right and, and again if we look at the hierarchy of creation and we look at the order and what in how he did this and we look at the roles of mankind mankind if you look at the Dominion mandate we're supposed to have dominion and command over the creation right so the order is pretty clear right mankind has dominion over creation but mankind now has to live in unity and harmony with each other But after the fall, we know that that's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. You know, so now as we look at at human life, uh, a beautiful verse I love is Micah 6, 8, as it talks about this. Well, what is it that mankind is supposed to do? What is it that our responsibilities are? What is our skin in the game? And the word is justice. In the verse he says here in Micah 6, 8, he has told you, O man, what is good? And what does Yahweh require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your Mm -hmm. God. And that word justice in the Hebrew is mishpat, which means to act in accordance, here it is, with divine law to enact judgment or decide a case. So then someone says, well, okay, we see that we're supposed to do justice, but how are we supposed to do justice? Easy answer. God enacts judges in Deuteronomy chapter 16, in which the judges are now supposed to be acting on God's behalf to execute justice on those who need to have, who have broken the Mosaic law or have broken other divine laws. So we see that god has now commanded we're supposed to do justice we're supposed to love each other we're supposed to live in harmony but because of sin but because we have marred the image of god now we have to make sure that we are protecting human life now what's interesting too is that there's no differentiation between the jewish people being image bearers and then the gentile population being image bearers it's all humanity are image bearers of god if you are a human you are an you are. image bearer. You're in. So if you're an image Born bearer. Born or unborn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we could get into that topic too. So if you're an image bearer, that is carte blanche across the board. You are made in the image mm-hmm. of God. And therefore, God views human life as precious. And God views human life as something that is to be protected, not to be destroyed. Because God could have destroyed and been, all right, you guys are done after Genesis three when Adam and Eve failed. But he didn't. Right. He we were separated from him spiritually and then that's when physical death now the clock started ticking if you will (laughs) and we ushered into that but through the mercy and grace that god has extended to us we see that there is now another way but we see that human life is to be protected and we see here too and i think this is kind of the crux of the verse in the old testament that leads us into understanding what just war theory is or when could something be just in Genesis 9, 5 through 6, right? So this is going into the Noahic covenant. This is going into Noah. It says this, Surely I will require your lifeblood from every, livery, every yes. living thing. I will require it. And listen, every man from each man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he made man. So here's what's interesting. This is capital punishment right here. Yeah. This is the mandate for capital punishment. As we look at capital punishment, we usually think of capital punishment in like a national sense or like in a state sense, right? Like, oh, Florida has uh, the laws of capital punishment or Pennsylvania doesn't have capital punishment laws. And when you apply that to war, capital punishment then goes internationally. So if someone sheds man's blood, if someone overly steps out of bounds out of the law that we have been told which thou shalt not murder or thou shalt not kill however you want to dissect that word you are going to be held to that same standard right right and so this is capital punishment being described and how you can directly correlate that with war is capital punishment on a grander sense and the principles remain the same and that's the thing with just war theory it's theoretical it's an intellectual thought Framework, if you will, on how one rationalizes or justifies if a war is right or if a war is wrong. And based off of this, what the scripture is saying, if you shed man's blood, this is what was required of you Mm. because you're not respecting the image of your fellow brother or sister if they're not in Christ, of a fellow image bearer. So now this is what is required of you. Interesting. So it does come down to, I mean, when you think about kind of at the end of the day,
0: Jesus said, two commands love God and love others. Yeah. So what does it look like to love others? And that's why yeah, taking taking war down to this is the last resort. Yes. You do anything other than that you're made in the image of God, so you should love others. You are image bearers of God. Um so life is
1: precious. This is a last resort. I mean, at the end of the day, war it's it, it absolutely, if you can do war through peaceful negotiations, you need to. If you can do war, or if you can prevent war through sanctions, you need to. War is absolutely the mm-hmm. last result. Now, I want to throw out a question that I know someone may be thinking that you actually mentioned in your intro, well, aren't we supposed to turn the other cheek? Yes, yeah, seriously. Well, if you actually look at Matthew chapter 5, it's very interesting. Most people would be considered, I would consider that most people across the world are right handed, would you not? Right. So... And we get the qualifier, though, if someone smacks your right cheek. So how am I going to smack your right cheek with my right hand if I'm right-handed? It's typically going to be okay. a back, which is more of an insult. So if you're insulted this way, he's not necessarily talking about a physical attack. He's talking about, hey, I don't like you, Eric. Take this, bud. And then it's you like, oh, oh, I'm a, it's game on, buddy. Right. No, it's like, okay, I'm not going to let your insult affect me. Fine. Go ahead and take the other one. It's not saying, let me punch you in the face and then let me punch the other side of you the face. You got to turn the other... Gotta... <laughs> because if we're image bearers, that kind of a, a physical altercation is going to amplify down the road. I mean, if you've ever been involved in a fight, it usually starts with a little shoves and yep. then the shoves turn to slaps and the slaps turn to punches. So Jesus is... I've got a brother about, and a sister, so... Uh, <laughs> so you yeah, know, you've yeah, been <laughs> slapped, maybe I haven't been slapped enough. Yeah, know, maybe but, that's my problem. Marlissa, yeah. But, so that's... Th- I want to quickly take that
0: that away. Yeah. And um, I think there's a lot of those, there's a lot of those passages, you know, well, you're supposed to love your enemy. Well, does that mean you let the enemy invade and do whatever they want? Does that, I mean, there's a lot well, what, of passages I mean, Think about take it.
1: Out a, What was Jesus teaching in the New Testament? The kingdom of God, right? Jesus was teaching, this is the way to live in right standing with me. Jesus isn't talking about the here and now, he's talking about the future eschaton of what is yet to come, right? So when he's saying, love your enemies, what is the most loving thing that we can do?
0: Sacrifice ourself for somebody else according to God like greater love has no man than this a man lays down his life for his friend uh, Tell them the truth about Christ.
1: There um, it is right there. So tell- so telling him, telling them the truth What is the most loving thing to do if you're gonna get and this is an example? I like to use with people about sharing the gospel it, it, corny example. I get it I know a lot of people have used this one Eric I someone whispered in my ear that the plane you're about to get on is gonna explode well, I don't want to offend Eric because I know he really wants to travel to Kentucky to go visit the <laughs> art museum or whatever So I don't want to tell him that's not loving Yeah, but now Eric you don't need to get on that plane. It's gonna explode You're like don't don't worry about it. I'm gonna go on anyway Now I jump on top of you and I hold you down. Yeah. No, Eric trust me You don't want to go on that. That's me loving and caring for you to prevent you from going down the road in which I see that you're going that's true love And if you look at what Paul's epistles are, in all 13 of his epistles, he pushes Christian unity and he pushes Christian living and he pushes being on mission for Christ. And the best thing and way in which we can love one another and the way in which we can love the world is by telling what Jesus has done for Mm -hmm. us and what Jesus can do for them. So again, loving your enemy isn't like, go ahead and stab me as I go down. Now granted, we have, I mean, Jim Elliott, perfect case in point. He was called to go down there to reach that tribe. And they could have fired a gun. They could have potentially fought back. But he was thinking bigger picture than this. He was thinking by me doing this, this could potentially ruin a testimony for those yet to follow. So if God's called you to do that, then by so means do it. But at the same time, God has given me to be a good steward of my family, of what God has given me of my life to protect my life, to protect my family. And if I ever was in a position, which I pray I never am in a position of like that large of authority to protect the people... And that's where we're going to move into, in a, in, the, in a little bit, into the role of the government. Because we understand our responsibilities as humans. We're not to take the life of another human. Right. We are not to kill another human. Because by that standard, our blood will be shed as well. Right. We are all made in the image of God. And what's interesting about this too, and Paul talks about this in Galatians, there's therefore no Jew, no Greek, no Gent. Like it's We're all level. There is no race. There is no gender. There is no this. God views us all as His children, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yeah. And our mission as Christians is to bring those other individuals outside into that relationship so they can see that. And you even said this too at your intro too, it's a stumbling block or foolishness. And we got to remove that, and that's where apologetics comes in, is to shut the mouths of the restreppers, right? And to give people evidence and proofs for Christianity is not a blind leap of faith. And what's awesome about all of this, Eric, too, is like, when you truly use the Bible to dictate your worldview. The logic of Scripture is airtight. Scripture does not contradict itself. There is no contradictions in Scripture. There's apparent paradoxes in Scripture. There is what we see as like textual variance in which you can come up with, well, maybe this and this, but it never impacts doctrine. It never impacts theology. It impacts practice only. If you do look at textual variances, especially within the New Testament. But what's awesome about all of this is Scripture gives us a very, very clear guideline on how we are supposed to conduct our lives and what right and wrong is. Because like we said at the beginning of this conversation, otherwise everything's subjective. Yeah. And like, we're just going to be living our lives for like, I hope this is right yeah. and I'll roll the dice. And when I get up there and stand before Peter in the pearly gates, which is hilarious that people think that yes. anyway. Uh, why should I let you in? I was a good person. Cool. Come on in, man. <laughs> it's you not quite I mean? going to work yeah. like that. So that's why when we allow the Scripture to kind of shape our mind and guide us, uh, I I think that is kind of the best way for us to view all of this. So as we're looking at just war theory, could a war be just or not? Let's look at what's happening before we get into the third point. Let's look at what happened specifically with Ukraine. Okay. Putin, right, is trying to justify his actions by saying what? Me and you talked about this a couple days ago. Saying, hey, that
0: used to be that used to be our territory, and we want it back. And uh, um, I, I, I think I'm still wondering sometimes what is the really big picture going. I've heard about the yeah. the Russian Orthodox Church versus Ukrainian Orthodox Church and things going on there, the power that they have. But ultimately, he's going, yeah, I, I this I'm bringing you guys back, and I'm I'm saving you guys. He's got all kinds of propaganda out there.
1: Well, he also said too that. THIS IS IN REACTION TO UKRAINE THREATENING TO yeah, INVADE yeah, to RUSSIA. Invade, LIKE THAT'S REALLY so GONNA HAPPEN. SO HE'S TRYING TO RATIONALIZE his, HIS INVASION, WHICH mean, YOU talk ABOUT THIS, IT WAS SUPPOSED TO BE 48 HOURS. I THINK WE'RE IN yeah. DAY 14 NOW.
0: THIS IS insane. Right?
1: WATCHING so, their RESISTANCE. Like it's, it's, IT'S INSPIRING ridiculous. TO WATCH THE UKRAINIANS FIGHT. SO WE uh, HAVE really THE AGGRESSOR. Is. THE AGGRESSOR IS PUTIN. PUTIN HAS COME INTO AND INVADED UKRAINE UNDER THE AUSPICES OF UKRAINE WAS GONNA INVADE, uh, I'm trying to protect my people. Data doesn't show us this, right? In the 1930s, we see the mass genocide that Stalin did on the Ukrainian people. Yeah. So when we look at the historical data on Russia's game plan and the USSR and the Iron Curtain and everything else, data would negate what he is trying to purport as being factual, when in fact, that's not the actual reasons. And if you look too, I mean, he had a four-line Western or an advance, Right, he had from the south, the east, the yeah. north, right, and then he was even paratrooping guys into the airports. So this, this is isn't an incredibly this is well a, planned. This isn't. Yeah, this isn't a. Oh, I got to react because the the question is is when Russia because we saw the buildup happening. Right. We saw this buildup happening. What should the Ukrainian in the world response had been prior to Russia actually invading? Right. So should Ukraine have taken a preemptive strike? Should the EU moved people in? Now, Ukraine's not a part of the NATO. Yeah, Ukraine's been trying to get a part of the EU and everything else. And that's kind of what really started all this up, is that Russia said, you will not be a part of the NATO, because if you are, now that is a direct right. threat, to us. threat to us. And Ukraine, if you look at it, it's a buffer zone. I hate to say it, but Ukraine is a buffer zone between you got Poland, Romania, Moldova, you got all these countries right here, and then there's Ukraine. And then there's Russia. So that's this buffer zone that he wants to extend his borders and everything else. So here's the question. That's
0: what's funny is it's like, you know, well, you don't, we want you to become part of NATO because then you'll be bordering us. It's like, <laughs> so instead, I'll take over everything up yeah, to the border. I got you guys. Yeah. Um,
1: unbelievable. So if, let me ask you this. Let, let's play a theoretical play here. If Ukraine acted preemptively with all of the buildup, and we saw this happening. This was happening weeks in advance. If Ukraine took the proactive stance and attacked Russia, would they have been in the wrong and Russia then been in the right? See, okay. according
0: to just war theory, I mean, that's that's I guess this gets down to what you guys tell me what you think in the chat. Uh, See if you got it right. According to Battlefield Theologian, I go, if I know there's somebody outside my house with a gun and I believe they're going to come in to try to do harm to me. At what point do I make that decision? I am. It is now defensive to preemptively do something. Mm. So you help me out, man. You studied this more than me. I. I <laughs> if you're outside my house with a gun, I'm probably. I got a gun waiting. I just. I don't know where that fine line yeah. is. Where, where, where do you do
1: that? How do, how do you- so I mean, think about it this way: when when Japan invaded, or when Japan hit Pearl Harbor, right? And then when. Um, and I've got a perfect historical data point that I want to use here in okay. a second And then we see what was happening with the blitzkrieg, All right? Let's fast-forward a little bit when Israel Was uh, I forget exactly when this was I the dates failing out of my head Egypt was building up forces Palestine was building up forces Israel saw what was happening for the six-day this? Yes. Yeah. Israel took a preemptive strike and went and attacked Egypt and stopped it so you see that this stuff was happening Israel saw based off of history we know what's going to happen. Yeah. We're going to before it comes up because in certain ways it's better to be proactive than reactive, right? So in a in a hand-to-hand fight, I have a better chance of winning if I am active, proactive rather than reactive because the reactionary time and everything else. Now take that on a grander scale with wow. warfare.
0: Nation, yeah. So
1: when Israel preemptively striked Egypt, it's like we see what you're doing. Bam, stop it. Now, the reason why I believe that that was just is because they limited, and we're going to get into this a little bit, they limited it to combatants only and proportionality force necessary to subdue the threat that was happening. And so that's what we got to look at. So now let's apply that case model to Ukraine. We see Russia lining up on the borders of Ukraine, Belarus, everything else. They've already taken Crimea. We already see what happened in 2014. 2014, We see everything else happening, right? History and data has shown that Russia is going to do what Russia is going to do. Ukraine again. It, it's a it's a darned if you do, darned if you don't. Exactly. If they would have preemptively stepped up and said, "No, we're going to just hit this area here," but the sad thing is, is those lines is really close to villages and stuff. It's really hard to d- dif- differentiate between targets and discrimination is going to be very difficult between civilian and combatants. I believe they could have and should have taken a preemptive strike. Now I'm not I'm not condon like I'm not condemning Zelensky. I'm not condemning the Ukrainian government at any point in time. But I'm thinking. From a just war theory perspective, if Ukraine had gone on the offensive, that potentially, I mean, it could have. have elevated it too. Right. That but they had have have the, right the to world do that. They had the right, according to just war theory, to take necessary actions to defend themselves because of what the role of government is supposed to be doing to do this.
0: And it had already been, its, it's Putin was already really clear. I want the USSR back. Oh, yeah. He, since 1999, oh, it, he's, he, they've spent decades trying to build this back. So... Okay, interesting. So just war theory, you see this happening, you have the right to, boom. And, and by the way, I've got to let you guys on social media go here in just a second, but can we distinguish between, real quick before I let them go, because yeah. some of them are going to wonder,
1: well, God told the children of Israel to go do this and this ah, and this and this. Perfect. That's a beautiful example. I'm glad you brought that up. So that was a holy war. Now, here's the difference between Christianity and Islam. That is the only war in which God directly commanded the children of Israel to enact justice on his behalf by going into the land of Canaan. Think about that. If we are supposed to do justice, and God has given judges to enact justice according to his will and law, and God is the standard for rule and law, what we as humans, because we've anthropomorphized language, and we've read it and we've anachronized everything by reading into the past something that was in the past, when you look at the people of Canaan and what they were doing, it was with Moloch and everything. It was horrific. That's really bad, yeah. So God says, you will go in there and you will wipe them out. Now, I'm not going to quibble over what wipe them out means. We could do a word-for-word breakdown about that. You will go there and wipe them out because you are executing justice on my behalf. Let's go back even further. Was it in God's prerogative and right to destroy the whole world through a flood, except for Noah and his family? I think the same thing. It's the same application. God is enacting His judgment because He is God. He can do what He wants and he is telling his people this is what you are to do this is the command to go and do it and so they did that now here's the difference between christianity and islam that's the only time in which that was a holy war divinely given to christians islam through the role of jihad is much different though yeah they they think that war is a part of what of, they were supposed to be doing in order to spread islam correct you do it by the So order. that's a huge differentiating point and i'm not trying to get into the islamic talk but what I'm showing you is that that was God enacting his justice. Mm. God was enacting his justice against the evildoer. There's going to be some
0: of you out there that are going, uh, that's why I don't like God. I don't think God is somebody that has a, a, a good moral foundation. And I got to ask, as somebody who's trying to think through this, go, well, what standard are you using to judge the creator of the universe? By what standard do you say God shouldn't be doing that or shouldn't have done that, what he told the children of Israel to do. What's the standard? Because ultimately, you'll have to you'll have to address this. I was talking to a guy, a Jewish man, uh, two days ago, and he was giving some problems that he has with God. And I said, well, the problem is you're taking your intellect, yeah. your limited knowledge, and exalting it above God. That's incredibly prideful, and God hates pride. And so if that's you, if you're the one challenging this going, yeah, I don't want to believe in a God that would allow... That, you need, to, you need to look at where you're at. You need to find out, okay, am I exalting my own mind and my own thoughts above that of God? And uh, that's right where you need to wrestle. Okay, I got to let you guys on Facebook and YouTube go uh, next week. I'm going to have a great conversation. Logical and illogical Christian thinking with my friend Jason Lyle. Uh, Dr. Lyle is phenomenal when it comes to this, and I wish more people in the church understood how to think logically, because it's lacking. So uh, people in the church, this is for you. Pastors, this is for your congregation. I'd love for you guys to join me next week as we talk about that live at 12 noon, uh, uh, Wednesdays, live at 12 noon. I'm going to continue with Ethan here for our Creation Today members uh, and partners. Thank you guys for partnering with us. Uh, If you want to become a partner of Creation Today and enjoy the rest of the conversation and ask your questions, Go to creationtoday.org. Yes, I'll try to do a show on what does Ethan think of tattoos and uh, (laughs) his biblical view of tattoos one day. That'd be great.
1: I'll tear that part apart. You'll do that? that. Okay.
0: I I don't have any. I'm I'm not hiding anything under here. Um, But we'll talk about that later. Guys, thank you for joining me. I hope you guys have enjoyed the chat. I'll jump in there after the show and uh, see what all kinds of crazy things you guys said. Uh, But see you next week for Illogical Christian Thinking with Dr. Jason Lyle.